coming up. In my view, that's just kind of wasting time. So especially when we do have a turn preference or tension patterns or discomfort, babies get really good at compensating and getting comfortable with their discomfort. And then it takes even longer to kind of re-educate them as to what their bodies can and should be doing for literally long-term use, right? You only have one body your whole lifetime. You want it to work the best it can. We have a special offer for our Munch Bunch listeners. To book a virtual consult with Megan, she's offering a discount of $25 off. Just email her, Megan, at nwmyofunctionaltherapy.com or through her website, www.orofacial-myology.com. To book a virtual consult with Kimmy for the $25 off, email her mouthmusclememory at outlook.com or through the website, www.mouthmusclememory.com. Now on to the episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Munch Bunch podcast. You've got your co-host, Megan Vinori, myself, myofunctional therapist, dental hygienist, and Kimmy Nishimoto, my favorite person, also dental hygienist and myofunctional therapist. And we are so excited to have our friend Kelsey, occupational therapist, feeding specialist extraordinaire on our podcast today. Mm -hmm. We are... Have big fans of Kelsey. We've been stalking her on Instagram. Sounds like for at least a year for Kimmy. And so, yeah. you know, we uh, we roped her in and we even roped her into our course, uh, the spot for tots that we've been talking about. You might've seen on Instagram, on Facebook, on social media. And we'll talk even more about that at the end. But hi, Kelsey, welcome. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. Um, you know, I'm just really excited to be connected with both of you. Yeah, Kimmy and I have had an Instagram relationship back and forth for the past year or so, and that's been really fun. And it's just been great to get to know what you both are offering. Yeah, yeah. So, Kelsey, tell us a little bit about yourself, about your background, what you do, and we're going to dive into even more questions. Great. So I'm a pediatric occupational therapist. I live and work mostly in Philly and I've been in, I did early intervention for about 10 years. So I've only ever really worked with kids zero to five um, and really niche down into the under six months really in the past couple of years to focus more on infant feeding. Um, when my daughter was born, we had some breastfeeding struggles and I was very adamant about breastfeeding. Um, so there was a lot of blood, sweat and tears, um, mostly blood and tears, (laughs) actually a lot of sweat, Um, but we pushed through and we were able to get to two and a half years of breastfeeding. Um, and I had gotten my CLC when I was pregnant. So I thought that I knew exactly what I was getting into. I was like, I'm an occupational therapist. I'm a lactation counselor. I'm a feeding specialist. Like I have this out of all the people to ever have a baby. I have this. Um, and I didn't. So the universe <laughs> is funny that way. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, but I didn't know all the things I know now. So my daughter is about to be six and she still has ties present. And it's just been an ongoing 
learning opportunity um, to make her as functional as we can. And she really has minimal impact from them at this point. And I think my, you know, extended breastfeeding, quote unquote, with her was really beneficial in that regard. Um, But now I see mostly babies under six months. Sometimes I see older babies and toddler preschool aged kiddos. Um, But for the most part, I work with the itty bitties on um, breast chest bottle feeding and get them to be as functional in their feeding as we can um, and help coach through pre and post release if necessary. If someone wanted to work with you or they're wanting to connect someone they know that's having issues to maybe see you and see if you could help, where are you at? Yeah, I'm in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Um, So that's where I see most of my families in person. And I do do some virtual parent coaching. Um, So we don't call that actual therapy because I'm only licensed in Pennsylvania, but I do work with families virtually um, in some capacity. Yeah, and I think being able to offer some virtual resources too is so huge. Even if you're, we're not in person and you're not necessarily providing that direct like lactation support, uh, people need help everywhere. And that's what is so cool about kind of the shift that has happened these past couple of years. You know, I've worked on Skype and Zoom since 2016. People thought I was crazy. Now, you know, it's not so crazy anymore, but just what we do. Yeah. It's what we do. And, uh, I want to circle back real quick. We get this question a lot. Like what even is occupational therapy? Occupational therapy is a really broad term. Um, so you'll hear a lot of us grouped in with PT, OT speech, right? So we are the therapists. Um, PT is mostly known for motor work. OT is mostly known for functional work. So making those movements functional in your daily life and speech is obviously about speech, language, communication, all those things. Um, So that's kind of how I like to summarize it. And it really depends as with any profession, what continuing ed you've taken. My version of OT looks a lot different than another version of OT from somebody else. So you really want to know what type of provider you're getting and not just say, oh, I need OT or, oh, I need PT. You want to know what that specific therapist is actually trained in and is familiar with. Yeah, I think that's really important. Mm -hmm. When my niece was born, she was very, very mature. And she had to do occupational therapy, but me being like 20 years old, I was like, why does a premature baby need occupational therapy? She has no occupation. (laughs) That's a fair question. And we get that joke a lot, right? Like an occupation is your job. It is what you do, but your Mm -hmm. occupations are, can be anything that you do, right? Brushing your teeth, um, Mm -hmm. how to put your shoes on, eating, feeding, sleeping, even all of these things are occupations and activities of daily living. So we figure out how to activity and analysis, all of those steps that we need to achieve to complete the goal of whatever that may be, whether that is breastfeeding, bottle feeding, brushing teeth, putting shoes on, whatever it is, we are trained to think of every tiny little minute step that bodies need to be able to accomplish cognitively and physically, social, emotionally, and help put that into place to make it functional. 
Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, and I, you know, you guys, if you're a longtime listener, you have heard my story about Isabel nonstop, and I'm obviously very obsessed with my baby. Uh, but I have had, I have a new nephew, and he's eight weeks old, and I will be obsessed with him, you know, the same way. And, you know, it's interesting kind of coming into some of this space now, even with Izzy, I thought I knew so much. And then now she's 19 months. I know so much more and I'm kind of watching, you know, Mav has a little head tilt and he's kind of snarfly and he's, um, you know, he's not very comfortable when he's on the floor or in other places uh, because his little body is just so tight. You know, I'm talking to my sister and brother-in-law through that as well, but you know, some of these things, pediatricians like, oh, it's normal. Just force his head over to the side. And I was like, no, <laughs> don't do that to my baby. Um, you know, but it's interesting just to kind of see from that new perspective of, you know, Izzy being my experimental baby. Now I've learned since, especially from your account, uh, I send her, I send her videos of all the things that you do with babies all the time. I'm like, look at this, look at this, look at this poor girl. She's probably like overwhelmed. She's like, you're the most annoying older sister I've ever had. Um, but it's, it's still a really frustrating space, right? Like it's still, you know, here we are 19 months later for Isabel new nephew and I'm still hearing you know the same things and it's hard when we hear the pediatricians or kind of our general wellness specialists say oh it's fine they'll grow out of it oh we're just going to watch it oh we're gonna so at what point is a good space for somebody to work with you that's a great question. A lot of times people will reach out and because they have this gut feeling of concern, right? Maybe mm -hmm. baby's arching a lot. Maybe they do have a turn preference. Maybe feeds are just a really challenging time multiple times a day. Um, and they'll reach out and we'll get something set up. And then they'll say, we're seeing our pediatrician on Thursday. So I just want to check in with them. And then we're really excited to see you next week. A lot of times after they have that well visit, the pediatrician has kind of talked them out of following their gut. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to say that happens all the time because there are many really supportive pediatricians and other care providers. Um, but in my view, that's just kind of wasting time. So especially when we do have a turn preference or tension patterns or discomfort, babies get really good at compensating and getting comfortable with their discomfort. And then it takes even longer to kind of re-educate them as to what their bodies can and should be doing for literally long-term use, right? You only have one body your whole lifetime. You want it to work the best it can. Um, and a lot of people don't realize the impact in asymmetrical development, right? Oh, they just have a little cocked head. I think their crooked smile is cute. And all of these things are character building and adorable and they are not necessarily bad but when it comes to visual development and crawling development and all of those things then we want to make sure that we are symmetrical mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and is OT um, an option for if they have that plagiocephaly, which is the flat head or the crooked head? Is OT a modality that can help with that? 
Yes, a thousand percent. So that is under the scope of PT and OT. A lot of people are just really quick to talk to PT, right? Pediatricians will write a PT script, um, but PT and OT can work in this realm. And again, it really depends on the provider. So mm -hmm. some OTs, I would say it is out of their scope just because they don't have a good understanding of it. Mm -hmm. Just how I would say the same thing about some PTs, but mm -hmm. you can, we're both motor and body therapists. Um, mm -hmm. So this is obviously an area that I'm passionate about and have spent a lot of time researching um, and understanding how to get good outcomes in a short amount of time. So if there are turn preferences and any cranial molding, um, even from in utero positioning, we want to address that in honestly the first month. Otherwise it just takes progressively longer and longer as the longer we wait. So when pediatrician says, wait and see, and then it, you're at the four or five, six month well appointment, you're like, oh yeah, actually maybe we might want to look into some helmet mm -hmm. and maybe PT therapy. I'm like, yeah, we were saying this months ago and now mm -hmm. you're looking at a year to 18 months of therapy versus maybe three to four months of therapy. Yeah. That crazy. Yeah, that's tough with the wait and see modality because a lot of times um, with the I know that like progress through play PT, she's this fabulous PT on Instagram, Dr. Britta. We need to have her on sometime. She's wonderful. But she said that if you if you wait and see, sometimes you're more likely to end up in that helmet versus if you do the early intervention. Sometimes they can really start reworking that quite quickly, like surprisingly quickly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I can see significant change in babies that have good carryover and parents are completely on board within a week, right? And depending yeah. on a baby's age range, it, if their skull has been formed quickly, right? They've only been here for a couple of weeks if they're newborns and their skull has already been changed by the force of gravity and positioning and maybe in utero positioning. Um, but we can change that back pretty quickly. Whereas if we wait, it gets harder, a lot harder. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then they turn into grownups like us who like can't move and who like need like all the things. <laughs> oh, a thousand percent. I always tell families that, you know, that one shoulder that always gives you trouble or like, oh, that one knee just can't quite get it together. And you have those recurrent injuries or strain patterns. I usually find that that can kind of root back to just birth. And mm -hmm. that's how they came out and they never really fully unwound it. And they just learned how to compensate over and over. So you're strengthening the patterns that you already have and you're not accessing the ones that can help balance you out unless somebody comes along and it's like, oh, this is another way to do it. And actually it's kind of hard right now, but it's going to make your life easier. So it's much easier to do that with a newborn and set them up for success along that whole first year of development rather than waiting yeah yeah well and it's interesting to me too like um how many of these things make so much sense when we're talking about it right like oh yeah of course like we want to move in the right direction sometimes to do that we need to be able to actually move them um or you know some things that are so you know people are worried about pain in babies and like same I was I was so careful with Izzy all the time right but 
babies are so resilient and it's better to be able to work with them when they're resilient and a little bit bendy and you know all of those things like it's less painful then than again when we kind of come down the road and uh, put in kind of a little bit different work and it's okay for babies to be upset it's okay for us to have emotions and not be happy like 100% of the time it's okay to have preferences but that again that kind of setup for the long term I think is so so huge um, and I think that's where we end up with these kids who come see us and sometimes we're like man I don't even know where to start <laughs> I don't know even who to start you with because you need everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it really is challenging once you get, you know, to 18 months, two years old, and they are real people with real opinions. And not that they're not real people as infants, obviously, we want to respect them and their preferences. And that's why we're always looking at baby's face and cueing into how they're feeling. So we can push a little bit, maybe get a little bit more range of motion, but we're never, you know, holding a screaming baby and counting to 10 while we are like, we're going to stretch that neck. Like that's not efficient mm -hmm. and effective therapy. Um, so we all no, wanted to be active and engaging. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because don't we get to the point too, when the body gets in pain, it freezes up. It doesn't keep going. Right. And so totally. never, nobody's ever trying to like hurt the baby. So, um, I and love I it. Also say like when you are on a plane for a long time and you get cramped up and your neck is tight because you fell asleep on your neck pillow that wasn't in the right position or something right when you go to stretch that out like there is discomfort there mm -hmm. but then there's that like oh my god I can't believe I stayed like that for so long and a lot of times parents are able to see babies go through all of those phases when I'm working with them and it really is like an unwinding process of being really really tight and then oh oh, oh I don't want to and then they can come out of it and they actually have better circulation and their heart rate regulates and their breathing regulates and that nervous system can be in that rest and digest and calm place that we want it to be for effective feeds for restful sleep it's, yeah. Hmm. So curious, Kelsey, I just had two twin identical twin oh. boys born in my family. I'm so excited. So cute. Um, Arlo and Enzo, and they're both were tied, lip, tongue. So they had their release done, but uh, they always look scared. <laughs> I don't know how to... <laughs> They look scared all the time. And I suspect that they're still kind of in that tense fight or flight. They did the chiropractic cranial sacral and they did the lactation. They had their release and they're doing their stretching now. But I suspect that they're still kind of in that sympathetic mode because they're just. <laughs> I love their tiny little newborn eyes. Is that like a sign of nervous system tension or body tension or what is that? I do see that a lot in the babies that I work with. Um, this kind of 
I don't know how to move. So I'm going to be in this really protective space of mm-hmm. my shoulders are up by my ears and maybe I'm kind of panting a lot and I get agitated easily and I go from zero to a hundred really quickly. And oh, I am just- It sounds messy. like me, Megan. Yeah, that's Kimmy <laughs> on a day to day basis. That's literally Kimmy all the time. <laughs> Oh I made a mistake today and that literally was me all day was just like doing this and like mm-hmm. playing with my fingers and <laughs> when you're describing the baby intention I'm like oh my gosh so mm-hmm. yeah I'm also guilty of it right like everybody everybody has that in them to certain degrees right but we want that to be the exception and not the rule as far as like how we are in a day-to-day um yeah, yeah Kimmy I'm always super cool cool as a cucumber constantly nonstop. I'm never stressed. <laughs> never like that not, I have a 19 month old I'm never like that <laughs> no no me neither it's fine <laughs> everything's fine here there are no dumpster fires in the background it's yeah good. yeah <laughs> or in Kimmy's or in Kimmy's case so Kimmy's in Istanbul right now you guys um, which is amazing. If you guys aren't following her journey on Instagram, you should. We can talk about that at the end too. But she's uh, she's in a restaurant at the bar filming this episode. And next to her is this couple who is chewing with their mouths open. They're chewing chips. She like told them she's in a meeting and she has to stay close to the Wi-Fi. And they were like, we don't care. We're going to chew our food louder. So, uh, you know, speaking of that, so if you guys hear that in the background, that's what's happening. It's this really nice couple who they want to be, they want their 15 seconds of fame on our podcast obviously so I mean with this like gorgeous couch behind <laughs> me like it's beautiful I know I know I'm, I'm very optimistic. <laughs> um I love it okay got off track for a second but we had to we want to introduce the spot for tots course a parent's guide for toddlers ages two to five for mini Mayo. we have Megan and Kimmy going over nasal hygiene, myofunctional exercises, breathing exercises, tongue tie healing protocols, and then we have Jenny June going over sleep hygiene and Kelsey Baker going over feeding therapy and body work. Uh, the course is 297 and the link will be in the description. Talk to me actually, I don't think we've talked a ton about the conversations around like containers and floor time and movement and like all of that like I know that's kind of a a hot topic containers um and let's talk about what a container for a baby even is so like nobody think we're putting our babies in Tupperware like (laughs) (laughs) we're a rubber made family okay (laughs) Pyrex um (laughs) yeah no plastic here excuse us um BPA (laughs) BPA free only. Um, no, a container is anything that you can put baby into, right? Um, that restricts their movement. Um, and that can be more restrictive or less restrictive. Um, so a swaddle would be continu- considered a container. A snuggle me organic, a docketot, that's a container. Um, a sit me up container, swing container, car seat container, stroller container, literally everything that is marketed to to you as a parent or a caregiver Mm -hmm. is most likely a container. Mm -hmm. Um, All of these, you know, pieces of baby equipment. Um, So that's not to say that they're all bad, right? Car seats, 
keep our baby safe in the car. We need them. Strollers. Put your baby in a car seat. <laughs> yes, exactly. I'm not saying don't use car seats. We need car seats. They should be installed correctly and buckled correctly, all of those things. Um, but when I see a baby in a car seat in the car and then transferred to the stroller and then transferred into the doctor's appointment or into the store, and they literally never leave the car seat, think about how much time they're actually in that container. Mm -hmm. And especially if they have asymmetries or a flat spot and they're probably on that flat spot in that car seat for, you know, if you're out running errands that day, maybe two or three hours. And mm -hmm. that's two or three hours of container time that you're not really considering container time because it needs to happen to a degree, but you can break that up with, baby wearing when you go into the store or mm. put them in, you know, if they're big enough, put them into the, the, you know, stroller, if that works out better or the cart inside the store or something, mm -hmm. carry them into the doctor's office instead of leaving them in the car seat, because we want to try to double any container time with um, floor time. And that's just free movement play on the floor. They can be on their back, on their belly, on their right side, on their left side. However, combination kind of twisted, maybe looking a little uncomfortable to you, but they're fine and probably comfortable, right? If they're screaming, we're going to assist them. We're going to help them roll out of it. Um, we'll get them situated so they are comfortable, but they need time to figure out how to move their body. And if they're always contained and snuggled in and made cozy, they don't really know where the boundaries of their body are and they don't know how to take up space. And that feels scary to them. So if they're always swaddled and always contained, it is not actually helpful for them to integrate those reflexes that they are born with and then are slowly integrated um, through the next few months. You had a couple amazing points there that like you want to double the container time with, you know, free movement. I love that. And then I had another um, thought when you were talking about when they're contained, they don't know their body. Does that have anything to do with the retained primitive reflex of proprioception, like where some people have a hard time feeling where their body is in space? Um, mm -hmm. totally. I'm pretty sure when <laughs> I've done like the, the primitive reflex test, I think I have a very weak proprioceptive one. And um confession as a kid almost every time my parents would take us to a nice restaurant I would knock glasses and spill water all over the table like almost every time they took us out yeah kind so, of like that bull in a china shop situation yeah. just not yeah. knowing where you are not trying to not trying to do those things but literally not knowing where your body ends and the table begins or, you know, yes. the glasses. My mother said that I was like a golden retriever <laughs> puppy that like didn't know where its body was. <laughs> what a comparison. Oh yeah. That's a really good visual though. I like that. And I can see some kids. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. I'm thinking of some of my kids' friends or maybe my kids sometimes mm -hmm. where that is literally like they don't know where they are and they're just that excited golden retriever, you know, trying yeah. to get some love. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and actually let's take a step back. Kimmy, you brought up primitive reflexes. 
we kind of throw that around, but nobody quite knows what that even means or what they are. So let's talk, let's, let's define that real quick. Great question. So a primitive reflex are movement patterns that are elicited by sensory stimulation that all newborns have at different levels through development. Um, so a lot of people will think of the moral reflex or the startle reflex, which is usually why people will um, swaddle babies at night so they don't startle themselves awake, which by the way, I try to be out of swaddles by at least two months at the latest. Um, a lot of times I see people swaddling much past that. And mm -hmm. we really want to try to get out of the swaddle sooner rather than later. Um, but that moral reflex is to help keep babies safe, right? And it is so they can catch themselves if they start to fall off of something. Um, mm -hmm. And we'll see that in primates as well. There's also lots of ones that help with feeding, like the rooting reflex. And this helps with neck range of motion too. When you stroke a newborn's cheek, from towards the ear towards the mouth, they will turn towards that stimuli. And yeah. that's to help baby find the nipple to feed effectively and orient to where they are in space. And when people, parents, caregivers are popping nipples into baby's mouths without giving them something to orient to, whether that's the cheek with the rooting reflex or placing the nipple on the upper lip to help elicit that gape response, baby has a harder time coordinating how they suck, swallow, breathe. And it just turns into a more challenging affair when it doesn't need to be. They just need to take a second, let the baby touch the nipple, touch it to their face, figure out where it is in space. And then they'll have this kind of um, choreograph of reflexes to help them suck effect effectively. Kelsey, this is amazing. Yeah, it really is so good. I have wondered what would the coordinate, uh, sorry, the connection between the rooting reflex and oral function, because a lot of times um, kids that have myofunctional disorders, they also have retained rooting reflexes. And I've always wondered what that was, because I'm like, but they breastfed and they bottle fed, like, why did mm -hmm. this happen? But a lot of times, like we're so busy in our culture that we're just, okay, here's the spoon, put it in your mouth, put it in your mouth. Mm -hmm. Yep, totally. And really, we want to see that rooting reflex integrate by three, four months. So if you're seeing kids four plus with that rooting reflex, they missed a lot. And reflexes are kind of like, you have a certain number of them that need to fire before they integrate. So you almost have to let that more reflex go until it becomes a more functional movement pattern of, I can extend my arm when I need to, but it's not just going to do it randomly when I get scared. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. No. So if we see, so if parents see kids, like they're like, oh yeah, that's my kid. Oh yeah. Okay. Some of these things are starting to connect the dots you know, how do we get older kids to integrate their primitive reflexes? How do we work with them? And I mean, we collectively, you, us, occupational therapists, body workers, myo, um, you know, and then on, what are some of the red flags for some of the other reflexes? Great question. So startling easily, um, difficulty with eye tracking, crossing midline. So if you don't have a smooth pursuit of something tracking from your right to left and left to right, that can be a sign of some retained reflexes. Um, 
poor posture even and difficulty attending can be a sign of retained reflexes. All of these things can be assessed through standardized assessment evaluation with a trained therapist. Um, but you can also just kind of hedge your bets and focus on lots of floor time, right? Think about how babies play. Babies are on the floor. They're learning to crawl. Eventually they're going through tunnels. Eventually they're climbing up little pickler triangles. They're working on bilateral coordination, which a lot of times kiddos with retained reflexes have a really hard time, you know, holding on to their yogurt cup and scooping with the spoon. Like they can't quite figure out how to use those two hands together. And you can see how that would also play into difficulty with holding a paper in place and using scissors or writing even fully across the page. Um, so all of these things tie into lifelong skills rather than just crawling and walking. Um, but it really helps build up your core muscles so you can sit with good posture, so you can regulate your breathing. Um, as we all talk about with tongue posture and how our shoulders and our jaws feel and where our tension lies, these all play into it. So what type of therapy do you do for retained reflexes or to get those tested? Because sometimes it's hard because um, I'll ask one provider, do you work with reflexes? And they're like, I know about them, but I don't do it. <laughs> how do you yeah. find that, that golden goose? <laughs> It's a great question. Um, most quote unquote sensory clinics and OT based practices will do reflex integration therapy. Mm, okay. Um, especially for your age group of kiddos um, and even in through teens. Um, and then, yeah, if you have an adult with retained reflexes, you still go back to basics and I would kind of send them there too. Okay. So Kimmy, you just got to start crawling again. Just get on the floor, floor time. <laughs> Isn't that actually a technique? I've heard of um, classes where people do that. They do the crab walk and they, they crawl mm -hmm. on the floor. It's a thing, right? So people will do like animal flow. Um, that's a big thing right now. And functional patterns. And okay, as functional an OT, patterns. Mm -hmm. all of it is about integrating reflexes. Okay. Um, I've not heard of and, like, animal flow though. That sounds amazing. It's Is great. Like it's really yoga? fun. <laughs> similar, similar. Yeah, I got really into the fitness world at one point in my life, so it actually really tied into my therapy insights as well. But um, it is funny because I'm like, oh yeah, this is all about reflex integration and like developing your deep core muscles and coordinating your pelvic floor and your diaphragm and all of these things that are really important for airway development too. You know, yeah. it's interesting because I love like the woo-woo and I love the like spiritual mind-body connection, all that stuff. Um, but when I learned some of the primitive reflex uh, tests and then also the integration exercises in the class, I noticed there's a lot of crossover between yoga and the primitive reflex integrations like cat and cow and doing the Superman and the cobra. Thousand percent. I mean, it is really enlightening when you go to a yoga class um, and you're, if, let's say you go to an all levels class and you see the beginner who 
doesn't know the poses yet and is looking around trying to figure it out and the ones that have a really hard time with the motor planning of like where does my right hand go where does my left foot go how do I place this and set it up I guarantee you they have some retained reflexes Mm. it's not that they're just uncoordinated it is Mm. that they probably have retained ATNR and STNR reflexes interesting so how many primitive reflexes are there there and say them very fast like a wrap <laughs> oh yes please wrap them <laughs> I cannot do that um I Fish. wish that I could I'm sorry <laughs> I I'm not even gonna try my husband will always laugh at me if I try to sing rap or do an accent so we're not doing any of those <laughs> things right now <laughs> it's not my forte um so when it comes to babies, right? Usually what I'm looking for, because there are actually a lot of reflexes. I don't actually have a number off the top of my head. I could probably list through like the whole body, um, but there are a lot. So when we are talking about a baby with feeding, we're talking about rooting, we're talking about gape, we're talking about tongue protrusion. Um, we are talking about ATNR, which is like the archer's pose. So actually, if you're having a hard time getting your baby dressed, um, turn their head to the side, you're trying to extend the arm. So, cause if they're turned away, their arm is going to be flexed and tight and you're going to have a hard time getting it through the sleeve. Um, so that's just a nice little trick. Um, ATNR, STNR for weight bearing through the hands, um, Babinski, which is uh, foot reflexes and palmer grasp to get nice grip strength. Um, and then around three to five months, you get the Landau reflex, which is that Superman pose. So a lot of times you'll see babies just on the floor swimming, 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 and that's their Landau reflex firing. We already talked about the Mora reflex, which is kind of the opposite of that when babies are usually on their back and they're startling using that extension pattern. So cool. Yeah. I didn't realize there are so many. Like I know and there's you, even more yeah. that I'm kind of like I just don't usually go through with my scan. Um, but those are the main ones that I'm looking for. Yeah, that's so cool. Oh, that's so cool. You've been a wealth of knowledge today. That like just yeah. we've learned so much. Um, it's been yeah. awesome to hear kind of the other side because everybody's always talking about body work and what is body work and what's what. Um, you know, and, you know, one of our guests coming up soon is this is going to be from a speech perspective. And so I think it's so great. Again, we're always talking about collaboration, right. And to bring everybody in because we're over here as myofunctional therapist. And we're like, dang, we didn't even know this. This is so cool. And so just being tunnel vision to one person really kind of blocks us off from learning about everybody. And we all want to help, you know, everybody's bodies right and so I think that's just so cool all the stuff you shared with us today so which is also why we asked Kelsey to join us on our course so I we are launching the spots for tots course it's for parents from ages two to five toddlers okay because we know that's kind of no man's land it's a very confusing space. Some people may refer to it as the pre-cooperative stage, um, but really giving you guys as parents tools. And so Kelsey really dives into feeding, body work, movement, gives you guys lots of options uh, for like different products, which is really cool. 
Um, we're talking about tongue ties and identifying signs and symptoms. We have Jenny June. If you haven't listened to her podcast, listen to her. She's talking to you guys about sleep. Kimmy is covering the gamut from exercises to nasal hygiene to what else is in there, Kimmy, that you, you did a bunch. Nasal hygiene with all the different products and things that you can do to help with the nose breathing. And then there's a whole section on how to do habit elimination yes, um, for the kids. So that could be your binkies, your pacifiers, um, the, the thumb sucking, nail biting, and yeah, there's a bunch in there. And then yeah. lots of different exercises, stuff that's free. Mm-hmm. And then stuff from the dollar store. So you don't have to spend a million dollars on expensive products. Yes. And I'm also talking about munchie. I'm talking some breathing exercises, um, unblocking the nose, giving you guys, you know, as much as we can. And then also offering to you guys individual appointments with, uh, you know, whoever you need to meet with, depending on what your needs are. So keep an eyeball out for that. It's going to be coming out in the next couple of weeks. We'll obviously link everything to it. Um, we think you guys are going to be really excited and happy to have these resources. It's answering a lot of questions that we get all the time. And so we all put our heads together and we came up with something and it's, uh, pretty affordable, uh, just so you guys know, cost is $297, um, for the full course, which is around the cost of a general exam with any single one of us. And so, um, four for one is kind of what we're, <laughs> we're offering to you. So stay tuned. We'll post a bunch about it, social media, um, on our podcast sites. And actually speaking of social media, you can catch Kelsey on Instagram at b.wellot, right? There's a dot somewhere in there. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. I love it. You can catch myself at NWMFT. Kimmy's at mouth muscle memory. Um, and please reach out if you guys have questions, uh, comments, anything you got for us. If we miss anything in the course that you guys are dying to know about, email us. There's no saying we can't add on. So Kelsey, again, thank you so, so much for joining us. This has been awesome to learn more and more about what you do and, um, how you can work with patients. Wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate this. And I'm really excited to see what everyone has to say about our course. I think it's going to be awesome. And yeah, I think these kiddos between two and five really need the parents to be well-educated and well-informed so they can really implement all of these routines and strategies because that's where we're going to see change. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So All right, you guys. Well, this has been the Munch Bunch podcast and uh, we will catch you guys. We've got a lot of fun episodes coming up. We've got, like I said, a speech perspective. We've got some patients who are going to come on and share their stories. We've got an MMA jaw surgery story coming up. So lots of fun to be had. So stay tuned and we'll see you guys all soon.